Hi everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the Felixer Espresso Ride and Podcast. Uh, this week we're over at Tivoli, Tivoli Village. <laughs> Tivoli, Tivoli. Tivoli. I think the Italians pronounce it like Tivoli. 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 Okay, so we're at Tivoli Village um, at Leone Cafe. It's our favourite spot of ours actually. I think uh, me and Pablo actually did our very first bike rides out here and that's with our special guest Renato Lebron. Um, he's a you know spin instructor, works over at Trader Joe's in the like wine department over there and um, really likes coffee, he's a big foodie, so it should be a pretty fun conversation. Um, yeah, it's a very special show actually because uh, Renato actually got Pablo and I into cycling about, what was it Pablo, about three years ago? Yeah, just to, I think we're like right on that um, yep. uh, date, exactly. Three year anniversary, yeah, yeah coming anniversary. up. Yeah, so yeah, Pablo and I met at David Barton Gym upstairs. Uh, I think it was spin class, right? Yeah. And Renato, <laughs> yeah. Renato holds a pretty I'd, grueling spin class. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> All I knew was just sweating a lot. Yeah. Turning yeah. blue on the pedals. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, with that, do uh, you want to give us a little intro about yourself, Renato? Surely. Um, I've been teaching indoor cycling classes. I hate calling it spin because I feel like I missed out back in uh, 1988 uh, when I was riding in San Francisco. I had a an old uh, fixie riding through the hills of San Francisco. But then, heck, I was in my 20s, so it was easier to ride. Uh, and so are you like that, you know? Yeah, that would be nice. More like uh, 55 plus. <laughs> I'm the old fart in the group. Uh, but uh, I've been teaching indoor cycling since before the the uh, term was coined in 1992. Johnny G uh, came up with the term uh, spin, and I've been doing indoor cycling in a jazzercise room. <laughs> That's how old I am. Uh, back in the Bay Area, and so what did they play jazz? Actually, it was it was weird. It was uh, put on by, I guess, Jane Fonda and a whole group of women. They did jazzercise in a in an aerobic room. <laughs> it was really funny because uh, a bunch of cyclists in San Francisco, when the weather was bad, we would go in with our rollers and these uh, Kreitler. I had a Kreitler roller. And I would put my bike on it. We'd have a boom box in front of the room and start riding. And we never knew that that was going to be called spin down the road. We could have made money. It sucked that we should have, should have planned that. So I've been teaching since 1988. And uh, when I came to Vegas, I made it a point that uh, I liked the sport so much that uh, I wanted to introduce a bunch of people who actually had the potential in the cycling room to get out on the road. And, you know, like what I did with you guys, I just basically said, hey, you know, you want to try getting out on the road? Yeah. And I've calculated over the years in Vegas, since the time I moved here, that's over a hundred people that I brought out on the road. It's just insane. It's like four to six riders a year. I, I, I must say, I, you know, you do a good job with that transition from the spin bike to the road bike, because it is really different. I, Pablo made a joke the other day, he's like, you know, you, I think you taught us like you know when you're walking with your bike you like hold it from the saddle that's right that, that, there's me it's on my stuck. first day I was like hold like walking around my bike with like two <laughs> on the handlebars, on handlebars. <laughs> and we're not as like dude yeah okay gotta hold that from the saddle yeah it's just not classy <laughs> but that, you're, you're the first one who told me that yeah, yeah. I was like oh my god I'm, I'm starting off really bad here. and he's like he's like you're gonna fall 
don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to fall. Definitely fell my first game. Yep. I always tell people, you're going to fall twice, at least twice. And the first time you're going to fall is the most ridiculous, because you look like Charlie Chaplin in Slapstick movie. You unclip to your right, and you fall left. It never fails. 90% yep. <laughs> of the writers do that. It's so hilarious. what clothes to wear. He's like, yeah, you need to get this. Your socks need to be this length. Yep. I mean, down yeah. to the detail. In fact, I remember telling almost every cyclist, when you're done with your ride, make sure to not wad up your uh, your kits and your jerseys into a ball because the creases will never come off oh, yeah, and no, it's wet. Yeah, that's a good tip, though, because, yeah. I mean, I, I think, like, my kits have definitely last longer. I've always been conscious, because you made a massive point of that when, yeah. when we first started. You were like... Make sure you wash it straight away and hang dry it. Yep. Don't put it in the dryer. I'm like, oh yeah. shit. Because if the kits, uh, I mean, they're so expensive. If you wad it up in a ball, those creases never come off. I mean, it's silly. All these little idiosyncrasies, and I'm just OCD. Yeah. great. So great. On the on the spin class, how have you seen um, you know that evolve? Like, you know, do you see more like serious people getting into it? Or you know. It's interesting, because back then, uh, when Johnny G made it really popular, it really, it pained me to watch those classes. And unfortunately, in order to be able to teach, I had to be certified that way. And these guys would drop the saddle and just spin 130 RPM without any resistance. I mean, they were just destroying their knees. And I thought, this is insane. That's the worst way to ride. And I've always ridden based on uh, heart rate and uh, RPMs, and then eventually wattage, uh, when wattage was available, when power meters were available on an indoor bike. But back then, I wanted to make sure there was some resistance, because these guys were just destroying their knees. And so I saw it evolve, and it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's such a trend. Every two or three years, there's something new that comes up to make cycling, indoor cycling more interesting, because frankly, let's face it, getting on a bike indoors is boring, unless you have great music. And I'm notorious to have the worst music in indoor cycling. So I always, <laughs> I always tell people, bring your own ear, your own ear pods that are, and uh, you know, have your own music. I don't care because there are some classes I've taught where I just turn off the music completely. All you hear is the whizzing of the wheel, your heart rate, and your breathing, and it's punishing because there's no diversion. And uh, that's, that's, that's really interesting because like some instructors are like, you know, if they get really offended if they, if yeah. they see someone with like earbuds on. No, not me. I've always been the guy that. Uh, Frankly, if uh, you don't like my music, I don't care if you put ear pods on, as long as you can hear whatever I'm barking. And I'm one of the few instructors that doesn't teach what I call synchronized swimming. I don't tell everyone to get off the saddle and get on the saddle at the same time, because everyone has a different fitness level. If uh, they want to get off the saddle anytime they want, go for it. All I care about is your wattage, your heart rate, your RPM, and that's how I've taught. How many people go to a first spin class and then don't come back? Oh, that's easy easy 25%, 30% drop-off rate. Yeah. And frankly, I tell them, my classes have zero entertainment value. It's a workout, not a fun out. If uh, they don't participate or they don't like the way I teach, I say, great, you know, there's so many other instructors out there that are far more entertaining. Uh, those are the hoo-hoo dancing on the handlebars uh, uh, cycling classes. In fact, heck, now with Soul Cycle, <laughs> I, I laugh because... Since when do you see a cyclist out on the road with dumbbells? I mean, it just kills me how they're doing that. They're, what is Soul Cycle? I haven't even heard of it. Oh this. my gosh, you know, I, I've seen it now, the Soul Cycle, where they're teaching these classes and they're dancing and hooplying and their marketing video, if you see it, it's, I'm thinking, it obviously doesn't work because I hate to be disparaging, but everyone's fat 
on the video. So obviously the classes don't work, but that's so entertaining. Everyone's doing that. It's yeah, called I mean, soul it's cycle. A, it's, it's a great business model, right? It and is. They're attacking like the masses. Correct. But do you feel like it's diluting the quality of cycling? Correct. And, and like the idea of what a cyclist or what cycling should be? It's gotten to the point now where all these new cycling studios popping up in all the major cities like New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago. Uh, 70% of the classes are these soul cycle and high enter entertainment value classes. And only 30% are known as performance classes. And that's the type of class that I would teach uh, when Danny Cam goes out there and teaches. Uh, there are a few road cyclists that actually teach it based on performance rather than entertainment. And, you know, I guess you burn the same amount of calories, but not everyone likes, it, it's kind of like music. Some people like heavy metal, some people like pop, some people like jazz, and we're just accommodating the guys that are serious cyclists. Yeah. Do, you, do you still get off and then uh, walk around the room a little bit? Oh, yeah. You know, as I get older, <laughs> it's gotten to the point now, the last 10, 12 minutes of the class, there's no way you're going to find me on the bike because I just can't bark and ride that hard anymore. I have to get off the bike. And by the time, you know, you're saying about 10 words to a sentence to motivate people, I'm out of gas. I just can't do it anymore. So I get off the bike. And I think it's a good touch of you personally. It is. You go up to each one. And I look at each one's meter. And it's funny because when I go to their power meter, you know they're picking it up because the instructor's coming over. So yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. great motivation. Yeah. I don't even have to say anything. I just Show walk the numbers up. For a minute, you know? That's like a, and I look at their caloric burn and I say, and if it's under 300, I, I, I always tease them. I said, wow. You could have just gone upstairs to another bike and not take my class if it's under 300 calories. That's <laughs> funny. So we had um, Tour de Summerland yesterday. Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. That was a pretty successful event. Yeah. Uh, you've been uh, you know, involved in that event for... Since... Well, like, what is it? It was the 15th Right. One 2005 was the first one. I got involved about 12 years ago. Uh, and I've seen it grow from, gosh, back then was... 60 cyclists and that was big then huh? 50 to 60 cyclists up to its peak at 650 cyclists uh, and it's all dependent on weather uh, a lot of people oh yesterday <laughs> but you know it was surprising huh? we looked at the numbers uh, the registration was in the 350 count but we thought oh, 200 250 riders to show up and there were over 300 so it's amazing it's a good effort I mean I was thinking about riding and I yeah, definitely decided not to. <laughs> you know, when you've got 30, 45 mile an hour gusts, for some people who've never experienced that, that's an epic ride for them. But I'll never forget Tour de Palm Springs one year. It was the year before you guys rode for the first time. Steve White, myself, there were about six of us that went out to Palm Springs, and that was the year they had a 40 mile an hour sandstorm at the windmill farm, and we're all listing 20% to the left. I'm looking for the biggest guy I could find so I could draft behind. There was nobody there. Everyone was skinny, and I realized I was the biggest guy. They're all behind me, and I'm thinking, this sucks. <laughs> I remember you telling me that story, like the dinner before that ride. Yep. And I was just like, why are you telling me this right now when I'm about to ride this tomorrow? <laughs> That was your first big ride. It's always windy, that ride. Yeah. The, you know, when it goes through that windfall. The windmill, right? yep. Like, you're like literally, you've got those like huge like, windmills. Yep. Like right there, you're like, 
why? They're here for a reason. <laughs> why do they boot it? It's like the first 10 miles, I think. Yeah, yeah it's the first 10 miles. As soon as you make that left turn before you climb, yeah. you know, it's uh, about... It's just, like, the first, like... 15 miles of that ride is like it's like the wind yep. and then you get those like rollers, rollers. and, and then, then after like that it's beautiful it's a cruise it, it, it's a great entry ride it is you, you, you learn like if you just started I mean you have to learn really quickly technique because yep. of the wind that's right and then you get to you know just chill and just get on someone's wheel the only thing is if they do have a sandstorm it really is a whiteout you can't see further than two bikes in front of you but uh, it's a good open a uh, season opener because it's the first ride of the year unfortunately it keeps getting earlier and earlier i think this year they had it the first week of february when it's flipping cold i mean it hurts when it's that cold in the morning with those winds so so pablo and i must be some of your best students because we, we started like spin class in like <laughs> september then we did tour de that's right in like february it's so funny <laughs> uh, the only other person that i think it was andrew andrew leon i'll never forget he took my spin class and then I said, all right, get on the bike. That was in January. And then he rode Tour, tour de Palm Springs in four weeks. I said, man, you're insane. But he did. Yeah, he I, did. I remember I remember yeah. you telling me about him. And he, he, he just grabbed everything really quickly. He did. I remember going on Villa. He was like, this is my first ride. He's like right behind. Yeah. And I was like, man, yeah, no, he's, he's into it. He yeah. got into it. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing. The sport gets very addicting. Uh, yeah. uh, unfortunately, <laughs> equipment gets expensive. If you get all the weight weenies buying newer bikes and lighter bikes I keep reminding them just take my class you'll lose a pound and yeah. you just saved yourself a thousand dollars no you're right you, you become like obsessed with almost everything like whether it's the equipment losing weight right. training yep. like, it's, it's really hard it's, uh, it's gotten to the point now where I remind people you know what gone are the days when I'm that competitive and aggressive I, I ride for myself if the weather sucks I'm not going out there if I feel motivated and the weather sucks then I'll do it and it's truly just riding for myself. Uh, yeah, that's you know, why this morning we elected to do a four-mile route to the coffee shop right. instead of a seven-mile route to the coffee shop. Exactly. Because <laughs> there was a little bit of a win. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm thinking that 80% of it is cycling, outdoor cycling. 20% is equipment. 80% of it is the engine, and that's you. So, you know, if you don't get out there and ride regularly, like lately, gosh, I'm down to, it's miserable. I'm down to like a 70, 75-mile week. There was a time I used to ride 200, 250 miles a week, and Steve White and I would go out for, gosh, he would punish me. He would say, get on my wheel, and I would stay on his wheel for months, because, uh, you know, back then, uh, around 2001, I was on a bike ride, and I crashed, and, uh, you know, when I crashed, they took a CT scan, and I thought, gosh, I'm hurting, and they found a tumor. I ended up with the cancer. I had a gist, the gastrointestinal stroma. And lucky for me, knock on wood, uh, I got out of that one quickly. They removed the tumor. It was malignant, but it didn't metastasize. And throughout that time, 15 days after I got out of surgery, I got behind Steve White's bike, and he was so patient because I think the fastest I could go was like 12, 13 miles an hour. And oh, you know what that's like, to be tenacious and to hang on like that, to ride that slow just so that you can uh, help support a friend and get him back to speed. And kudos to him. I stayed on his wheel for months until I got back up to speed. And uh, you know, I still thank him for that for the, to, to this day. And Steve Weiss, awesome dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah that guy's he, a diesel. He, he also, I remember he, he inspired me one time when I was just like suffering up Villa. Yep. He just came up you know, next to me. He's like, you know, all you got to do is let go. Once you let go, you're good. That's right. And like, I still, to this day, when I'm, you know, 
feeling. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I don't know if I have any more, anything left. I almost like remember that, just like let go. And my, there's something that happens to the legs that just like, That's right. you know, they, you know, it's funny. I, it just hit me right now. So thanks, Steve. There are there are Steves out there that uh, are the best inspiration for cycling. Another Steve who comes to mind. I'll never forget this. When right after that surgery, I'm climbing a villa in pain, and Steve Kocher comes up behind me. With I was riding with AJ, and he and I, two old farts going up villa, just suffering. Steve Kocher takes his hands off his handlebars, puts his hand on our on our asses, and pushes us up the hill about 13 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's insane. I'm thinking, are you kidding? Who found Villa? Like, well, who was the yeah. first guy? Uh, this is going to be <laughs> the most famous like road in Vegas. You discovered it, right? Like, we need to get him on the podcast or her. Yeah, like, him or her. I have a feeling that was done back with, uh, gosh, it was the first McGee's ride. And I'm trying to remember. Uh, it might have been... Oh gosh! Yeah, so the McGee's ride that goes every Tuesday morning. When did that? When did that start? Oh, that was years ago. That started around 2002, I believe, or 2001. And has the has the route always been the same? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah it was. So it must have been before a few years before that. Someone was like, yeah, oh, I, I can't remember who the guys were that started that. But again, it was just a handful of guys. Down when the subdivision was built, and then see who was like, you know, yeah. riding around that time or something. So, weird. so cycling's one one of your I mean, one of your passions, right? Your life right. passions. I, and, and, and I think I've, you know, uh, I think grapes are, are another part of your passion, right? <laughs> well, that's why my nickname uh, in almost all my sign-ons and on the internet has always been Vino Velo. Uh, and the coincidence is. Um, Gary, oh gosh, uh, the guy that owns Cliff Bar and Cliff Family Wines, uh, his winery is called uh, uh, Vino Velo Vino. That's the exact opposite, and that's how we met back in the day in the '70s. Uh, he came out with Cliff Bar, and I knew him in San Francisco, and uh, so we used to ride. He's ten years older than I am, but that guy's made millions with the winery and with Cliff Bar. And so that's always been my passion is coffee, tea, wine, cheese, whiskey, and chocolate. As far as I'm concerned, those are the six major food groups. Uh, and so that's my specialty at Trader Joe's is coffee, tea, wine, cheese, whiskey, and chocolate. I'm never and disappointed when Renato <laughs> selects the wine for me. I'm not a big wine person. And then, like, you know, I'll go to, like, somewhere and buy, like, a $20, $25 bottle of wine. I'll hate it. Go to Trader Joe's. It's it's funny how I got into this. Um, back in my college years, I was a fencer, and fencing, you tend to be lopsided because if you're right-handed, you're always lunging to the right. So your right ass is bigger than your left ass. So in order to even out and to build my endurance, I got into cycling. And uh, in San Francisco, as a cyclist, uh, you get immersed in the, into the coffee and wine industry because that's the passion of almost all cyclists. Those messengers that uh, deliver for all the, uh, uh, the law firms and all that, these guys are insane. I mean, they ride those fixies, dodging in and out of cars, and the reason why they're so wired is they get a quad shot of espresso every hour. And that's why we had some of the best coffee houses. It's just, it's really interesting how it's so synonymous, cycling, uh, wine, and, uh, and coffee. 
Yeah, that's always been my passion. So what's like your what's like your favorite wine? What should oh. people be picking up right now? I tend to be a Cab Franc guy. I won't mention any brand names, uh, but I like uh, Cabernet Franc over Cabernet Sauvignon because it's got that earthiness. It's got the tannins, the structure. It'll shrink wrap your tongue. Heck, it'll grow hair in your toenails if you drink it right away. Uh, you have to let that sucker breathe about 20, 30 minutes before you start drinking that. You decanter, huh? Yeah, I use a decanter. I'm not a gadget person. You know, a lot of people own those little venturis that add uh, air into the wine, but that's, um, yeah, it, every pass through there is the equivalent of one hour breathing time. So I always tell people, go old school, use a decanter, let it breathe so you feel the wine develop. That, that does make a big difference. Oh, it's right? huge. Does the material I, of the decanter matter at all? No, yeah, it has to be glass. glass. The more inert, the better. Don't, don't use any plastics or polymers. Glass is still the best. And it's funny because just recently they came out with wine in a can and it's legit. I mean, I tasted it. It was made by Underwood in Oregon and it's a can, it looks like a beer can. And it's $5.99 and these cans are the equivalent of half a bottle. So this is like a $12 bottle of Pinot Noir. But tasting it, drinking it straight out of a can is just nasty. No matter how good the wine is, you have to pour it in the glass so it opens up. And, uh, and there's no like metallic like, no there's no metallic flavor it's just that the wine is so tight when you open up that can it just you know and I see the purpose it's great for picnics for pools yeah. or events but you still have to pour it in a glass because if you drink it straight out of the can the wine's just so tight you can shotgun a, uh, some wine now <laughs> you can it's so funny because ever since I saw that I thought wow the cops will never question it it looks like a soda can <laughs> that's hilarious so okay so that's how you prep wine how do you prep your coffee in the morning like, what, what's uh, your preferred method I have an old school Lapavani this thing has got a, a pull arm and uh, it's got a boiler in there where you uh, 220 volts you pour water in I mean it's old school it takes <laughs> I don't push buttons it takes a solid 5-6 minutes for me to make coffee in the morning and it'll pull a ristretto uh, a double or a quad shot and uh, it's an old machine. That machine's from 1963. And uh, it's all copper. And I polish that thing about once a year. And it's got a little crank. And uh, no, I don't put milk and sugar. It's just a straight shot of espresso. different from my AeroPress. Have you tried the AeroPress? Yes, I have. It's good, right? It is. It's good coffee. See, that's called direct contact method. Uh, I'm really a coffee geek. I mean, I was a roaster back in the day. So... Uh, that particular style of coffee doesn't have any filters that separate the bean from the water. There's no paper, it's all metal, so you get all the oils, and that makes a big difference. Just like French press, AeroPress, French press, all that, it's called a direct contact method. So when you see coffee and you see that sheen that looks like uh, an oil slick on top, that's a good thing. People think that that's because you poured it in a dirty cup or had... Uh, yeah, because you get that with the air yep. yeah. uh, People think that that's soap from your dishwashers. I said, no, that's actually oil. That's flavor from your coffee. If you run coffee through a paper filter, you won't get that sheen. If you just use direct contact method where it's metal or French press, no filtering, that's the way to drink coffee. It's ideal because uh, you're getting full flavor. And where, where would... Where in your mind are the best beans coming from right now? Oh, wow. You know, there are so many coffee geeks right now uh, creating specialty coffees, artisanal roasts. It's not so much where the beans come from, but it's the roasting style. Uh, I've always been a fan of blend, blended beans rather than single origin, because if you get like a single origin Guatemala, 
to me, it's too high acidity, too high in caffeine. If you get a single origin Kenya or African coffee, it's just too tannic. If you get a, a single origin Sulawesi or Pacific coffees from Asia, you're getting full flavor but no acidity to balance it out. Do you have the same taste with your wine? Do you prefer blends? Yes. Yep. To like, Typically. Okay. Well, I'll do a Cab Franc straight, but really very few wines out there are 100% one varietal. There's usually 2 or 3% of Cab Sauv or Merlot thrown in there. Uh, they usually blend it out to, soft, to soften the edges of the wine. Same with coffee. I usually do a blend of 50% uh, Pacific, which would be either Sumatra or Sulawesi, and 25-25 of Kenya or some Ethiopia, Africa, and Colombia. Because the Colombia gives you the aroma, the uh, Kenya gives you the tannins, and the Sulawesi gives you the flavor. So I do a 50-25-25. And, um, you know, it's just personal preference. Uh, a lot of people find that a little geekish, but it has nothing to do with the bean. It's really the roasting style. Each roaster has their way, because I know so many people who can screw that up. I can give them that exact proportion, 50-25-25, but when they roast it, it's just way off the scale. It's just too burnt or too light brown and too much acidity. It's, it's a roasting style. There are just a handful of roasters out there in the West Coast who can do it perfectly. I mean, for my palate. Like I say, there's no bad coffee and there's no bad wine. Uh, it's just your palate. Well, I take that back. There is bad wine. White Zinfandel sucks. <laughs> so coffee, wine, and cycling. What, what order do you do that in? Is it wine, uh, wine cycling, coffee, or coffee, wine, cycling? You know, <laughs> it, 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 it's funny. When I was in my 20s, it was definitely wine, cycling, coffee. In my 30s, it was coffee, wine, cycling. Now, it's... Uh, Wine, coffee, cycling. Cycling is taking the back burner because, man, it hurts to recover now. And it just takes longer. Uh, when I do a big ride or if I'm behind 20 or 30-somethings, you know, these guys are, I'm sucking their wheel. I'm coughing up a lung and they're talking about brunch in front of me. And I'm thinking, it hurts. So it takes me two days to recover. So... Yeah, I think next year... Do you do anything? Like, have you found any like, secrets to help you with your recovery? Like, yeah, it's nutrition. Kind of nutrition is where it boils down to. I mean, bottom line is how you eat the first two days before a ride man, spells, spells a successful ride or not. I mean, so if you make it a lifestyle and you consistently take good care of your nutrition... You're always going to have a good ride. And but that's it, become more important as you've got older. It has. Unfortunately, in my industry, since I eat and drink for a living, it's brutal. I, even if you spit out wine, you're still, it gets absorbed in, in your palate. And so, you know, when I do a professional tasting, that's a minimum of about 40 wines, up to 60 within 90 minutes. And even if you're spitting that out, that's like drinking six glasses of wine. It's funny, it's funny you talk about the spitting out because uh, there was a study I just read they had like 12 cyclists go on a bike and um, all they had them do was rinse their mouth with like Gatorade yeah. and just the mouth rinsing yep. improved the performance it didn't, they didn't have to ingest it so I'm sure like yeah just wine going into your mouth yep. must do something with the brain and the brain receptors yep. I think so uh, you know I've always there was a time when I ate so clean Monday to Friday I ate really clean and I rewarded myself on the weekends and that's where I ate anything I wanted but uh, as you get older, uh, <laughs> your metabolism is just so much slower. And it, once you introduce alcohol to that, then you're screwed because your metabolism really gets cut in half. And unfortunately, since it's what I do for a living, 
uh, alcohols involved. Uh, so especially what's your like, um, what's your like go-to meals for like? Let's say, oh my God. Let's say you got a big, big ride coming up. What's it's, your like go-to for like it's the so day funny. before, it's so funny. and then after that long ride, what do you treat yourself? My with? staple, if I know that I'm gonna have a big ride, starting a week before, I my go-to meal is brown rice, about two cups of brown rice, two chicken thighs, broccoli. That's my that's just my meal. I eat that regularly, and. Uh, Mentally, I have to have oatmeal in the morning, at least an hour and a half before a big ride, eggs and avocado, uh, a whole avocado, a couple eggs, and bacon <laughs> for the salt and the fats. And uh, if I don't do that mentally, I'm, I've already lost. I really have to have that routine. And about an hour before the ride, a double shot of espresso, and I'm good to go. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. That's pretty balanced. And <laughs> that's clean. great. That's, that's a great good. pre uh, pre plan. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what about afterwards? Cheeseburger, pizza. You know, <laughs> afterwards, afterwards, I'll do yeah, I'll do one glass of uh, four or five ounces of wine just to mellow out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you put a thin crust margarita pizza in front of me. I'm a happy guy. I always crave like brunch food after big long rides. Maybe I could be usually finish them at like eleven. I don't. You know, it's funny. Uh, there was a time I lived pretty close to a Cuban uh, coffee house in San Francisco, and after my big ride, they would have this meal called arroz a la cubana, which was garlic rice packed into a coffee cup. They flipped it up upside down. They put two fried eggs that were fried in bacon fat on top of that rice, uh, plantains, fried plantains, and a sautéed ground beef with onion and uh, raisins. Yeah, onions, sautéed, yeah, ground beef, onions, and raisins. And that was a meal. I had plantains, and I thought, wow, this is a great post-ride meal. And I don't know if it was good for you, but man, I really look forward to that after a big ride. <laughs> so good. South American food is really good. <laughs> I actually don't, I don't uh, not like anything. I don't dislike any food. Well, it, it's like funny because I, I, uh, I grew up in Malaga, Spain. Uh, my dad's a Spaniard, my mom's Filipina. And so we had a mix of just, and since my mom worked for the diplomatic corps uh, for the U.S. Embassy, every couple of years we were in different missions. I was really fortunate to be able to taste all different foods from all over the world. And uh, it, uh, my meals now every week are just an amalgamation of all these different cultures. And uh, I'm glad that I don't have a restrictive palate. So when I meet people that say they're vegetarian or vegan and all that, boy, it's just tough. I can't wrap myself around that. I'm thinking, you're missing out, man. There's just so much out there. It is, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, you look at your Facebook page, you obviously go out to a lot of restaurants and stuff. <laughs> let's, let's get Renato's top breakfast spot, top oh. lunch spot, and top dinner spot. Oh, jeez, that's brutal. All right. <laughs> that's perfect. In Vegas, oh. in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, okay. Top breakfast spot in Las Vegas would definitely be Veranda uh, at the Four Seasons. It's one of my favorite places. One because on the, on the strip. Yeah, on the strip, uh, and it doesn't feel like it's on the strip because it's on the Mandalay side, and so it's easier access to get in and out of there. But one of the reasons why I like the Veranda at Four Seasons is it's so under the radar. Very few tourists are in there. As a matter of fact, almost all the big name celebrities are there. So you're sitting out on their patio having breakfast, and there's a uh, uh, I mean, one day I saw DiCaprio in the pool, and I'm thinking, what? What's he doing at the pool? I'm having, I'm having breakfast, and DiCaprio's in the pool. 
and uh, it's so under the radar, but just the attention to detail. If you have black slacks, they give you black napkins. If you order iced tea, the ice cubes are iced tea, so it doesn't dilute. If it's lemonade, you know, yeah, they don't. And then if it's lemonade, the ice cubes are lemonade. And then really, if you have lighter colored slacks, then they give you white uh, linen napkins, down to the detail. But it's an affordable breakfast, and it's just good quality. Uh, there's salmon benedicts to die for over there, so I do that. That's one of my favorite breakfast places. That one and Tableau, Tableau at the Wind. They're both under the radar. Very few people know of it. And then lunch, holy man, this is tough. Because uh, I, I eat out, gosh, four or five times a week easily. So whew, for lunch, um, I would say... Gosh, I'm torn. I can't even think of it. You put me on the spot. Let's go to dinner. <laughs> dinner is uh, oh, this. This is going to make me sound like I'm so high maintenance. Because I didn't throw in brunch there as well. That yeah. Really <laughs> uh, well, brunch would be tableau for sure. Tableau would win. Yeah. So that's a bonus. Yeah, that's really that's really a good brunch tableau. Uh, the dinner. This is going to make me sound so hoity-toity, man. But uh, by far, Le Taillet by Joel Robuchon. Not the inside restaurant, but the outside restaurant. And talk about another place that just at the MGM. And it sucks to get in there because parking is hell. It's just a giant city to go into this restaurant. You have to weed through all, all the crowds to get in there. But the food's just exceptional. Um, now, that's for the high end. For a low, uh, not low end, but a much more affordable, realistic one, it's called Other Mama. Other Mama's on Durango and Twain. And that, to me, is just a fantastic industry street plays. Uh, people who know food really just love the quality of that uh, that place, and also herbs and rye. See, there you go. You asked me to choose oh, one, no. and it just I I, I can't. We haven't got a lunch spot. Yeah. There's no, there's no place. So, so we, we go uh, to two places for breakfast. Yeah. Three for dinner. Three for dinner, but there's no way for lunch. Uh, you know why? It's probably because I'm always working for lunch. Uh, I'm always it's like Trader I, Joe's. Really? Yeah, that, that eleven to seven shift. You know, I'm always working at Trader Joe's right around lunch. So yeah, you got to go into Trader Joe's, grab something from our deli case, and, and eat lunch there. Um, gosh, yeah, you know, I, I just, I, I can name you a lunch spot in Laguna, but not here. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. So, all right. So if we, we let's go full sober, full sober. Um, if there was like someone who was thinking about, like on the fence about cycling, whether they should go out on a road bike or not, um, what, what, what would be your words of encouragement to get them on the bike and just to try it? Okay. The first thing I tell them is don't buy a new bike. Because everyone wants to get into the sport and spend crazy and, and buy a new bike. I tell them, look, just go to Craigslist in Colorado. There's so many bikes that are like one-third the price of their original price. Start with that. And rent a bike first so that you can get the correct bike fit. There are so many people that you can make assumptions because of their inseam that they'll, you know, they'll just jump into the wrong frame. So I tell them, rent a bike, get out there, and go with someone who knows how to ride first. Because if you just get out on the road, it's like riding when you were first, I don't know, eight, nine years old, and you're just aimlessly going out there. You have to be safe, because there are so many uh, drivers out there that just aren't conscious about uh, cyclists being on the road. So you have to be careful. So I tell them, look, I'll make the time, find a cyclist or me, just set up a time and we'll go out there on the road. I'll teach you the basics in a parking lot and uh, we can do figure eights just so you'll know how to ride a bike safely. And we just go from there. Just start with the basics. But rent a bike first.
that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, if anyone, you know, wants to try a spin class, I definitely recommend the spin class. Yeah, get the legs test. ready first before yeah. you get I'm out sure on the people road. people can just reach out to you on Facebook or something. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so easy. Uh, I'm the only Renato LeBron, R-E-N-A-T-O, and Le like LeBron James, same spelling, L-E-B-R-O-N. Look for me on Facebook, and it's obvious because the, uh, the cover picture is an old steel frame bike with wine bottles in the background. Nice, nice. All right, I will put that on the, sh on the show notes page, and along with the restaurant recommendations. <laughs> yeah. People can go check those out. Um, we got to let you go, right? Because you got a, I've got a, got a class, class to teach in about yep, 45 awesome. minutes. So he writes a coffee shop, has a coffee, and now he's going to beat up some people in spin class. <laughs> yeah, I think today's class, I'll be on the bike only half the time. The other half, I'm going to be walking. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. This is great. Thanks, gentlemen. Cheers, man. Thank you.